listeners welcome to itihasa a indic history podcast and you're listening to episode 34 of the season vijayanagara in the last episode we saw how the kakatiya state in the 14th century was organized much more effectively than it was in the 13th century thanks to its innovation of the early form of nayamkara system the old powerful noble lineages like the chalukyas and kayasthas were reduced in power and in their place a new class of nayaka officers largely of low humble origins emerged as the dominant subordinates of the new kakatiya state in this episode we shall look at the nayamkara system of vijayanagara in depth we shall see how nayamkara system while it shared some similarities with the delhi sultanate's ikta system and the initial kakatiya version the nayamkara system that took shape in vijayanagara was a lot more evolved and robust while i have referred to multiple sources as part of the research for this episode the primary source that i will be using is a very interesting research paper published in 2012 by christopher chekuri an associate professor in the history department of the san francisco state university The paper was published in the Social Scientist magazine volume 40. Chekuri talks in depth on how the Namkaras were a complex bundle of sovereignty claims that included not just revenue privileges and military obligations but much more than that. Christopher Chekuri starts off this paper by asking a question. He asks, quote, "How does Timma come to share the mantle?" with an emperor who is widely acknowledged as the most powerful of the rayas if minting coins was an important expression of sovereignty what does a commemorative coin with both the kings and timmas name suggest unquote what chekuri is referring to here is the special copper coins that were minted on the orders of shri krishna devaraya immediately after his ascension It is a well-known fact that Saluva Timma or also known as Timmarasa was responsible for the ascension of Shri Krishna Devaraya to the lion's throne against the wishes of Veeranarsimaraya who was a predecessor and half-brother of Shri Krishna Devaraya Timma had become the prime minister of Krishna Devaraya and enjoyed a special status Shri Krishna Devaraya even performs Kankabhishekam to Timma to show his gratitude and respect to commemorate this great event special coins were issued in which the kanra legend krishna deva on the obverse and timmarasu guru on the reverse was inscribed this is the unique coin where the name of the emperor and his prime minister appear together what chekuri is hinting at is the fact that a minister was elevated to such a status that was unheard of in the vijayanagara history prior to that and chekuri tries to inquire about this in his paper and in a way gently claims that this is a reflection of a powerful relationship between the emperor and his subordinate vassal and in turn their symbiotic relationship while this overarching deduction might be a bit debatable it's not unfounded notwithstanding the illustrious reign 
of Shri Krishna Devaraya he was known to have exhibited episodic bouts of rage and also at most generosity and affection towards his family courtiers and rivals alike in 1509 CE on his deathbed legend has it that Veeranarsimharaya requested his minister Saluvatimma to blind his younger half brother Krishnadevaraya so that his own 8 year old son could become the emperor Timma however brought a pair of she goat eyes to the dying emperor and informed him that he had Krishnadevaraya killed hearing this news Veeranarsimharaya is pleased and finally breathes his last after which Timma raises Krishnadevaraya to the throne and with it ushering in the golden age of Vijayanagara. Hence, it might be worth asking ourselves as humble students of history if this rare and special case of commemorative coins with the names of the emperor and his prime minister was a result of a case of utmost affection and care for Timma or maybe was it just a real politic on the part of the newly minted emperor to keep his powerful chief minister happy if one thinks about it timma himself might have played a political masterstroke to protect his own job as a minister by winning over the stronger candidate krishnadevaraya instead of the 8 year old designated heir to veeranarsimharaya who most probably would have been controlled by a powerful regent and a faction in the court that would have replaced timma with their own man so timma might have thought he could become much powerful by becoming a kingmaker instead so as one can see there's more to the story of this special coin if listeners remember i had discussed an aspect of this in depth in the 6th episode of the season with the title politics and great game of power those who haven't heard it already do check it out Having said this, Chekuri indeed asks a very interesting and a probing question, and which he tries to explain succinctly by looking through the lenses of Nayamkara system in Vijayanagara, which he refers to as shared sovereignty. Chekuri's paper mainly examines the revenue practices at Vijayanagara as a crucial dimension in the concept of sovereignty. It especially traces the revenue farming practices called Nayamkara in the temple inscriptions as part of a distinctive shift in the polity whereby the Nayaka political elite were incorporated by the emperor more as partners instead of lowly vassals and vegetative subordinates like in the case of Kakatiya version starting about 1480s and up until 1580s The Namkara partnerships became the centerpiece of Vijayanagara imperial expansion and were the major means through which the region between the rivers Krishna and Kaveri were successfully brought under control Contrary to much of the early historiography Chekuri's paper argues that Namkaras were a complex bundle of sovereignty claims that included not just revenue privileges and military obligations but also served as a principal vehicle to shape and share sovereignty in practice individuals like saluvatimma 
were not only agents and advisors as namkara holders in the world empire their military and revenue obligations made them partners in sovereignty too namkaras were the political and economic instruments through which the nayakas of vijayanagara reworked the empire at multiple levels between the ruler and the realm between raya and nayaka between the ruler and the realm namkara facilitated deeper penetration of the nayakas into the far corners of the empire local and translocal temples monasteries and professional collectives and guilds alike were now brought into the economic and political orbit of the empire as a principal revenue instrument alongside social and political hierarchies like kumara nijabhritya bantu namkara reworked the relationship between raya and nayaka by drawing from a wider pool of nayakas as partners in the empire the underlying tension within the empire was between nayaka's role as a partner and that of a subordinate of the raya finally chekuri points out that namkara system had made the boundaries between vijayanagara and the rival deccan sultanates more porous by creating a common political and economic language for the political elite to move across what modern historians had imagined as a religious boundary as a revenue instrument alongside other cultural instruments of governance the namkara system was a distinctive vijayanagara feature especially when contrasted against the wider revenue farming practices called ikta of the indo-islamic world we had briefly touched upon the ikta in the previous episode in first part of the namkara topic the contemporary accounts of an empire wide revenue apparatus are interestingly and conspicuously absent in the case of vijayanagara there is nothing similar to aini akbari of the mughals and the ajnapatra of the marathas aini akbari is a 16th century detailed document recording the administration of the mughal empire under emperor akbar This document goes in depth into the revenue system of the Mughal Empire. Similarly, the Ajnapatra of Marathas is a royal edict on the principles of Maratha policy written in Modi Marathi language by Ramachandra Amatya, a diplomat and a warrior of the Maratha empire. He wrote it with the intention to guide Shivaji's grandson Sambhaji the 2. It is supposed to be the formal documentation of Shivaji's ideals, principles and policies of state administration. This includes aspects of the economic policy, taxation and revenue system to be adopted by the state. And something like this was missing from the historical records of a major empire like Vijayanagara that lasted for little over 300 years. How is it that an official revenue system of such a vast empire wasn't documented in detail by the contemporary chroniclers but a quick glance at the south indian inscriptions belonging to the vijayanagara period show us that the rayas and nayakas regularly remitted taxes hence one is more likely to see descriptions of tax remissions without an understanding of a generalized abstract revenue system so despite attempts by modern historians to decode this unusual absence of the codified revenue system and practices 
Vijayanagara sources reveal what can only be viewed as informal and customary practices of revenue collection and remissions on a local level. However, once imposed from the above, the Nayamkara system transformed the very essence of the localized revenue practices. As per South Indian inscriptions dated in between 1400 to 1600 CE, the Nayakas repeatedly remitted taxes, gave gifts, endowed temples, tanks and monasteries. The Vijayanagara revenue system and economy have long intrigued the British colonial administrators and post-colonial historians. For the East India Company administrators, the nature of the king's share of revenue in pre-colonial India became a central issue. Both the British and their principal antagonists in the region, the polygars, justified their competing claims on the basis of the erstwhile Vijayanagara revenue practices. The Vijayanagara Rayas never formally codified a taxation system. Instead, it is through the remission of taxes that we find a variety of local tax systems. Portuguese observers at the court also noted the remarkable absence of a formal apparatus of revenue collection. And this even as they described the fabulous wealth and elephants at Vijayanagara. In what remains the only eyewitness account of the courtly dynamics in this aspect, Fernão Nunes in 1530 CE observed this. Quote, The kingdom of Biznaga is divided between more than 200 captains who are all heathen. And according to the lands and revenues that they have, so the king settles for them the forces that they are compelled to keep up. And how much revenue they have to pay him every month during the first nine days of the month of September, he never gives any receipts to them. Only if they do not pay, they are all well punished. They are ruined and their property taken away. The king has no controller of the revenues, nor other officers, nor officers of his house, but only captains of his kingdom. Unquote. Nunez witnessed the annual Navaratri or Mahanavami celebrations during the reign of Emperor Achyutaraya. During the festival in early October, all the revenue that was due from the Nayakas was paid to the Raya. If Nunez pointed to the absence of a generalized revenue system, in the Raya Vachakamu, a 17th century Telugu ethno-historical classic, we have an unusually coherent view of revenue and fiscal affairs, although it dates several decades later. Portuguese chronicles and the Raya Vachakamu discuss an annual tribute as another basis, in addition to troops, horses and elephants, of the relationship between the Raya and his Nayaka. Nunez wrote that captains or Nayakas who were renters were required to attend the court. He further suggested that there were about 200 of these captains who were obliged to remain in court and who were expected to maintain the required number of soldiers, horses and elephants in their estates or if judged to fall short, risk default and confiscation. The confinement of Nayakas in the capital was one important reason 
for the proliferation of persons who identified themselves as agents or also known as karyakartalu these agents oversaw the execution of gifts and endowments on behalf of the courtly persons and the nayakas the rai vachakamu is perhaps the most direct articulation of this exchange between the rayas and nayakas of an institution of revenue farming connected to political and military concerns in one of the chapters in this text the chief minister saluvatimma reports on the details of the revenue arrangements to the newly coronated emperor shri krishna devaraya it goes like this quote in this kingdom the rate for the maintenance of armored horses is 100 gettis per month per horse which comes to 100000 gettis per 1000 horses or a total of 24 lakh gettis for 24000 horses for elephants the rate is 1000 gettis monthly per elephant or for 120 elephants 120000 gettis which comes to 1.2 million for a total of 1200 elephants for foot soldiers the rate is 2 getti varahas monthly per soldier which comes to the rate of 2000 gettis per 1000 soldiers and that's a total of 4 lakh gettis monthly per 2 lakh soldiers on the basis of this calculation the districts around the strong forts of aduni cheyeti durga gutti gandikota chandragiri gurramkunda maddur somagiri trishapuram kunnatur and penukonda around the military commanders forts at nandyal srirangapatnam ummattur valmakota madurai palyamkotta dindigul and around the forest forts of satyavidu kottikal dankini kota and naranavaram have been designated as estates for rule by the amaranayakas the income from these estates is sufficient for the maintenance of 24000 horses 1200 elephants and 2 lakh foot soldiers with which they serve you although amaranayakas have occupied these estates in accordance with our figures they have nonetheless failed to provide the correct numbers of elephants horses and foot soldiers this is certainly worthy of your majesty's consideration unquote this excerpt is an interesting discourse on the relationship between emperor and his nayaka subordinates the defaulting nayakas or amara nayakas mentioned in it pose a crisis for the newly crowned emperor but the crisis averted by the politically savvy salvatimma in the rest of the text salvatimma maneuvers the nayakas into fulfilling their end of the namkara obligations leaving krishna devaraya to rule over his inability to command the nayakas an inability he perceives as a sign of his lack of sovereignty if listeners remember i had spoken about the initial tension between krishna devaraya and salavatimma in the 6th episode of the season and how the new emperor too becomes adept at bending his powerful chief minister to his will all the while building a close partnership with him Namkara in its simplest terms was an office held by Nayaka as part of a military and economic arrangement between the emperor and Nayaka. It entitled the Nayaka to collect revenues and keep a specified share. The arrangement also included village level officers such as accountants, watchmen, 
and village headmen who were responsible for registering changes in tax status Interestingly this arrangement was quickly reproduced by the nayakas themselves towards their subordinate nayakas There was a proliferation of nayamkara arrangements beyond the court and dynasty to include a wider swath of political and economic arrangements The most obvious result of this phenomenon was deeper interdependence of the court and society at the apex level Nayamkara entitled the nayaka to collect revenues from territorial units called seemas which went along with the responsibility to raise troops horses and elephants for the imperial armies the administrative centers of seemas were based in encampments called chavadis such chavadis included towns and forts scattered across the empire that also served as a local seat of vijayanagara power Few of the chavadis mentioned in inscriptions of early 16th century include Adwani, Cheyati Durgam, Gutti, Gandikota, Chandragiri, Gurramkonda, Maddur, Penukonda, Nandiyala, Srirangapatna, Ummattur, Madurai, Vallamkota, Dindigal, and so forth and so on. In Telugu, chavadi has the following related usages: a place of reception, gatehouse, a front porch, an audience hall and a barrack room a chavadi is primarily a collection center or clearing house as is evident in the inscriptional language associated with it court penukonda chavadi ki chelleti unquote in telugu it means payable to penukonda chavadi nahamkara tenures were the key instruments of economic growth on the agrarian front As Namkara holders the nayakas of Vijayanagara took active interest in the clearing of new lands as well as in the renovation and construction of temples and irrigation canals they encouraged settlement and growth through the creation of rent free also known as sarvamanya sources of income an earlier inscription from 1535 CE shows the intricate attempts by the nayakas to rejuvenate the local economy and a degree of monetary vitality had come into existence after the 1480s namkara holders were concerned with farmers attempts to flee the tax burden in order to seek better prospects an inscription in the form of a charter or also called as namika sasanam granted to the shettis reddis karanams and others from the farmer communities promised a series of measures to rehabilitate the villages these measures included revision of taxes limits on the maximum fine to be imposed for default and cancellation of past dues for the kapu farmers the concern of the namkara holders to make their properties productive is once again evident in an inscription from guntur district in andhra pradesh dated to 1547 ce It records the remission of taxes upon various groups who had left due to past injustices. Namkara holders also faced complaints about unjust taxes and fraudulent collections. Responsibility for correcting such local injustices conducted by representatives of the nayaka was undertaken in a few of the instances. 
and recorded for posterity. Another inscription from Bellari registers an inquiry into unauthorized and corrupt collection measures by his own officers and exempted taxes on the Agrahara village called Bhupatiraya Samudram. In an attempt to compensate for his agents' illegal attempts to collect taxes from the properties already declared as rent-free or tax-free, the Nayaka cancelled additional taxes. made over the fines collected as gifts to the aggrieved grahara and finally constructed irrigation channels from the temple tank a nayaka who took action against his own tax collectors received the raya durga seema as nayamkara from the raya another word that was interchangeably used in place of nayamkara was nayanakattanam For example, let's look at this small excerpt in Telugu from an inscription. Quote: Krishna Raya Maharaya Laru Namage Nayana Kattanana Kupalinchina Paneem Seemalo. Unquote. Kattanam or Kattanam in Telugu and Tamil is a gift, present or binding transaction or agreement between two parties. So this excerpt that we saw in a way suggests that Nayamkara was viewed as binding in nature. Clearly there's a sense of bestowal and exchange implied in the language that surrounds Nayamkara. In modern Telugu the word kattanam or kattanam remains in use only to denote a gift or exchange in betrothal as in dowry. Lineage and inheritance are the main ingredients of Nayamkara system. that the nayakas were partners and shareholders in the empire and sovereignty is also made clear by the inscriptional language the telugu verb palinchu is used to indicate the act of giving nayamkara from his superiors palinchu is a compound verb made out of words palu which means share divide or parcel out and ichu to give This word palu is also used interchangeably with another word dayabhaga. Dayabhaga is a medieval inheritance law that states the offspring of a property owner is entitled to a share of the property upon his death. So the use of palu or another synonym dayabhaga as a principle underlying nayamkara follows naturally from the fact that rayas and nayakas continually reproduce their own relationships. of politics and hierarchy in familial terms so the language of the family operated as a political idiom of the empire and hence nayakas were not only the king's subordinates but also equal share partners in the empire in reality succession and co-partnery conflicts were at the center of raya and nayaka dynastic politics throughout vijayanagara history court family and empire endured rebellion at all times from a host of political contenders from members of the extended patrimonial clan to military service subordinates rayas and nayakas struggled to confine dynastic members and their followers and hence increasingly depended on a specialized class of military subordinates who were sworn to them through loyalty oaths and service obligations by the 16th century such subordinate nayakas called komara nijabhritya and bantu in the inscriptions 
form the central political architecture of the empire. Among them, the Komara, also known as political sons, developed fictional discourses of their family around the figure of Raya or Nayaka. In short, these political sons took the place of biological sons in these discourses. As per the inscriptions, they served as agents, as military subordinates, as well as a class of sons who were ritually and effectively bound by loyalty oaths to the Raya or superior Nayakas. Interestingly, the Rayas and Nayakas relied on these fictive discourses of the family as an alternative to cutthroat and competitive politics of the dynastic family. The fictive family too, after a point, developed its own share of counterclaims. So the Rayas were just as likely to be under threat of rebellion from members of their fictive family as much as from their biological family. Hence the Nayamkara system which hinged upon the Raya and Nayaka relationship unfolded within a political atmosphere defined by loyalty and rebellion. And with this, we shall end this episode and the second part of the Vijayanagara Nayamkara system. In the next episode and third part of the Nayankara system, we shall explore in depth the web of politics that was spun as part of the Nayankara, the intrigues that were plotted against emperors, the in-depth comparison of Nayankara with the Ikta system of the Indo-Islamic Sultanates, the role of Nayakas in the eventual weakening of the Vijayanagara throne, and much more. I sincerely hope the listeners enjoyed this full-length episode an in-depth mini-series on the Namkara. If you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and a review wherever it is that you're listening. A huge thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. I hope to see you soon in the next episode. Till then, this is Narendra Vikram, your host and narrator signing off. Hope you have a great week ahead.